two weeks ago, I talked to you about the pain of past wounds. And of course, we were talking about freedom. How do we get free from the painful and difficult events that have taken place in our life? And I, and I shared something with you that I want to remind you of, is that, that an, a wound is an event that has occurred in our life. And pain is the ongoing reminder that we feel that the wound still exists. And it's important that we, that we capture that. I, I even said to you that to know if a wound is not healed, it, you'll know that a wound is not healed if you still feel the pain. Now, if you can remember the pain, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that you're not healed. We can all recall that things have happened in our life. We're talking about emotional pain. We can remember that they did happen, but I'm talking about if you can still feel it, that means that it's still present. And so this was part of what I, I wanted to share with you because this is true for every person is that we've all experienced various levels of emotional pain. We've all lived life, and as a result of that, being a human being, we have a tendency to avoid pain. We avoid it in so many di different ways. In fact, it can be quite instinctive if, if, uh, if not intentional. But the reality is that if we do not deal with our emotional pain, it will become Lord or master over our life in one way or another. It will start to dictate to us where we go, what we do, what we avoid, and in a sense, who we become. And I want to add to that a little bit today by saying this, pain will not only dictate where we go and what we do and some of these aspects of our life, but pain actually carries a cycle that we need to be aware of. And an example for this comes from one of my friends. I have a friend right now, and he was talking to me about how he started counseling about a year ago. Now, he went to counseling because he had an anger problem that was manifesting in his home. He was taking it out on his kids and his wife, not in physical ways, but he couldn't refrain from yelling, and, and that anger was, was just manifesting. And at some point, through consultation and aggressive negotiations with his family, he realized that he needed some help. He knew that it was wrong, but he couldn't get set free. And so he ended up going to a Christian counselor. Somewhere in that time, the Christian counselor helped him realize that the pain that he is experiencing or sorry, the anger that he's experiencing comes from deep wounds that he has from his childhood that are with his relationship uh, in his, with his mom and dad. And so the Lord led him to go to his mom and dad and seek reconciliation and offer forgiveness, to which he did. And when he did that, an amazing thing happened. God brought about a glorious reconciliation. They owned some things. They um, asked for forgiveness. He, he gave forgiveness to them. It was beautiful. They saw such a change in their son that they said, I've got to go to Christian counseling. <laughs> I'm not selling you on counseling today. I'm just saying that uh, they realized that, that they fostered a home that caused pain in their son. And as a result of that, he was now bringing that pain to his family. That, and it was manifesting through anger. So they go to this counselor and then they realize they too have wounds that go all the way back to their childhood. Now, However you feel about that, this is what happened. And I want you to see something about this story that I think happens to be true for so many of us, that there is a cycle that continues to flow through our life. It comes from pain and it manifests in all these difficult and traumatic ways. But somebody has to take a step into the midst of that cycle and say, this is enough. 
I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to get healed because Jesus paid for me to get set free from this. And I don't have to respond to the things that have been done to me because sin against me does not need to produce sin in me. And this is an important reality for us because if we don't do something about the things that are coming out of us, recognizing that we have pain, if we don't stop that cycle, then it's just going to keep going. And Jesus paid for us to apply all that he did to those areas of our hearts so that we could be set free. And, and I want that freedom for all of us. But here's a principle that we need to be aware of today, and that's this. We may start as the offended party, but if we're not going to get healed through the work of Jesus, we will become the offender. That's what the cycle of pain will do. And I don't need a show of hands because I think everybody's experienced this cycle that keeps going through our family lines, through churches, and so on. Jesus taught powerful principles to stop these things, and he gave his life so that it could be a, a possibility. He said things like, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, which implies don't do back to other people what they've done to you. He also said, forgive those that offend you, bless those that curse you, pray for those that despitefully use you, show mercy on people that afflict you. Look at what he's saying, move in the opposite spirit. And he paid for us to be able to do that. We could follow our Savior. We could follow the pattern that he laid out before us. And as we do that, these cycles stop. Now, I wanted to add another thought here. I sat down and worked through some of this stuff. Well, I have been over the last few weeks. It's not new to me, but every time you begin to mine these truths, you go deeper than you've gone before. And, and so I'm, I'm in the middle of that. But I started thinking about how most people... Now, there are people that do want to hurt someone, and, and they set out to do that. But most people, when we're talking about families and relationships, most people don't set out to hurt other people. It's just not the way that it works. There are some that do, but the majority of people don't even know that they've hurt a person. And this has to be in the forefront of our mind if we're going to seek healing and receive what God wants to do. Like in my marriage, for example, I love my wife. We've been married 19 years. There's nobody on the planet that I love more than, than my wife. My kids are second, amen? I tell them, I tell them, you don't know how to feel about that, but I'll tell you why. I tell my kids, uh, someday you guys are gonna go and it's just gonna be me and this wonderful woman. And I can't wait for that day, amen? I can't. I will, I will. It's not a lack of love for my kids. I have just never had one year with my wife in 20 years of knowing each other, we've never had one year without kids. So some of you had six months or nine months, <laughs> at least. But I've never had a year with Bridget, and I'm looking forward, I'm looking forward to that. And, and of course, I, lo I love my, ch my children. But there are t I've never, to my knowledge, done anything. I mean, before God, I've never done anything to purposely hurt my wife. I, I can't think of it. I, honestly, I cannot think of a moment where I, I yeah, I'm going to do this to make her feel bad, to, her, to bring pain to her life. I've per per Personally, I've never done that. Um, and, and again, the Lord's, you know, he could tell me different, but I, I can't think of it. And so there are times where Bridget and I will be in what I call aggressive negotiations. You can call them something different. Uh, but we're not perfect, and so we have, occasionally we have that happen. And so as that's going on, because we've known each other a long time, I can, I'm aware that this negotiation may not be 
because of the thing that we're talking about. How many of you understand that? Like you're in the middle of an argument and you realize this argument is not good enough to have this kind of (laughs) representation. It just doesn't make any sense. And that's why if you've ever had this phenomenon in your marriage or even in your relationship with someone where five minutes after you have the argument, you don't even remember why you argued because it wasn't good enough to have an argument. And now you're humbled to the place where like, what were we arguing about? And then you realize what it was and you go, why? Sometimes there's a reason that this is all happening the way that it is. There's, there's something underneath the rocks of, 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 your, of your life. And whenever I detect that, which is not all the time, but whenever I detect that, I do take a step back and I'm like, what is wrong here? Have I done something wrong? It's easy to say she's done something wrong. But the question is, have I done something wrong? That's how we bring healing to each other, right? And by God's grace, it happens occasionally with me. And so, you know, we, like I said, we don't get into a lot of arguments. We don't like yell at it and all that. I mean, we send like text messages with capitals, you know, or whatever. <laughs> um, and when sometimes she can communicate to me, you hurt me. And that's a gift, by the way. When your spouse or your friend can communicate, you hurt me. That's a very important moment. And what we do after that said is even more important. What we do when someone says you hurt me is a very important moment because now we can take that hurt to the next level or we can bring healing into that experience. This is what is compound interest when it comes to pain is that a person has a clarifying experience where they, I know that this is is a result of this. And if you stomp on that, when it happens, you're asking for more. That's that's what's going on right there. And so this is what happens in me. And I bet you, at, at least some of you can relate, if not all of you, whenever someone tells me that you've hurt me, this is what happens to me, especially with my family. I power down real quickly. Like, like the rules of negotiate, the rules of engagement have changed for me. for whatever it is inside of me, when I know I've hurt someone, it hurts me. It horrifies me. I did what to you? And so this is a very important thing that we need in our life because if we're going to see healing come to our families and if we're going to see healing come to our relationships and see Jesus work in the midst of these very, very difficult, intense places. If that's going to happen, it's going to be because we are able to take a step back and ask the question, what have I done? What have I done? And how can I address this so that what God wants to have happen can come about? That's the kind of humility that, that we need. As we become aware of our pain that we caused, God can undo the pain And he can break the cycle. And that's what we need. We don't want the cycles to keep going. We want it to be broken. And it starts with how you and I respond to what is in front of us. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Just a light topic, Brother Kurt. Just a light topic. Sometimes, I'd say a lot of times, when we talk about freedom in Christ, it's always about how we've been treated. It's always about what other people have done. I want to talk to you today about the pain that we've caused. I want you and I to consider what have we done to 
to make this the way that it is. And I want to do that by talking to you about Jacob in Genesis 25 to 33. I'm going to summarize his story and then go into some points that we can observe that will kind of target what I'm after today. And let, let me just say this about Genesis 25 through 33. Isaac is the son of Abraham, and he has two twin boys with his wife, Rebekah. Their names are Jacob and Esau. Esau was the firstborn, and Jacob was second by, by literally just seconds. As the firstborn, Esau was promised the blessing and the inheritance of the Lord that he would receive from, from his father. These boys had tension to them uh, between each other to the point where we could just conclude they, they didn't love each other. That's for sure. There are qualities about Esau's life that are bad for sure, but Jacob is no gentleman. He is no white knight. But it's amazing how when we talk about the story of Jacob or Esau, because there are two passages that say, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated, which I don't have time to get into that. But because we have those scriptures, we tend to think Jacob good or Esau bad. But Jacob is not so good. Can I get an amen? (laughs) If you know the Bible, I want to remind you, Jacob is not so good today. In fact, his name means to grasp the heel, which he literally did when he was born, But it also means to cheat and to supplant. The word supplant means to undermine someone else through force or strategy. That's what Jacob does. He's named that. Can you imagine naming your son that? Hey, supplanter. (laughs) Underminer. (laughs) Come here, cheater. I don't know. That just doesn't feel right to me, but... Jacob was a schemer, and he devised ways to steal the most important things from his brother. So the first point I want to make is Jacob caused great pain. And we see that pain in Genesis 25 to 27, and I want to bring up two things that happened. The first is Jacob tricked Esau into giving him the birthright or the inheritance of the firstborn. Here's what it says in verse 27 of Genesis 25. When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. He was like a homebody. Now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. When Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there for I am famished. Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, first, sell me your birthright. Now, who does this? Sell me your birthright so you can have some stew. I mean, it's can we all agree? It's ridiculous. Here's what happens. Esau said, behold, I'm going to die. So of what use is it then to me, this birthright? And Jacob said, well, swear to me then. So he swore to him, and he sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew, and he ate and he drank and he rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright from that day forward. As the firstborn son, Esau was given the responsibility to lead the family in the stead of his father when he died. He was also given the right to the full inheritance. And Hebrews 12, 16 tells us that Esau was a godless man for bargaining away his birthright for a single meal. So here's what we know about Esau. He's a man of the flesh. He's a man of instant gratification, a man of pleasure. I want what I want right now. He doesn't value the right things. There's a lot we can say about him, but here's what Jacob did. Jacob knew that about his brother, and he manipulated him. Which one's worse? 
He knew that his brother was like this, so he stole from him one of the most important things of his life because he knew the priorities of his brother. That's not all he did. The second thing here is Jacob stole Esau's blessing by tricking his father Isaac. So here's what happens. Isaac, his father, is old, and he thought he was going to die, so he calls Esau in, and he says, go out and hunt and prepare for me some food. You know the food that I, that I like. After a meal, Isaac intends on going to lay hands on Esau and giving him his blessing. Now, a blessing was like a spiritual impartation, and this would come from Abraham. Abraham did the same thing to Isaac. He would lay his hands on him and evoke the power and the presence and the promise of God. God gave a promise to Abraham. He gave a promise to Isaac, and Isaac was now going to lay his hands on his firstborn and declare, you're going to carry the blessing, you're going to carry the promise and fulfill it, and God's grace and power will be with you as I impart this blessing to you. And so they're both aware of this. Rebecca, the mom, heard Isaac say all of these things to Esau, and while he was out hunting, she said, I'm going to help I'm going to help trick Isaac so that Jacob receives the blessing. So here's what they do. They make food like Esau would make. She has Jacob put on Esau's clothes so he would smell like him. And she even covers his hands and his neck with goat skin that has hair on it because he was a very hairy man. Now, this is just ridiculous. They're going to the nth degree to make sure that they can trick Isaac. And it works. Now, he's suspicious because it doesn't all add up, but he ends up giving him his blessing anyways. And here's what it says in verse 30 of Genesis 27. Now, it came about as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, Jacob had hardly gone out from his presence, that Esau, his brother, came in from the hunting. Then he also made savory food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you might bless me. Isaac, his father, said to him, who are you? And he said, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me so that I ate of all of it before you came? And I blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. It cannot be undone. When Esau heard the words of his father, watch this, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry, and he said to his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, your brother came in deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. And I just want to point something out right here, that this wound that struck Esau's heart, he cries over bitterly. This was an injustice at the highest level that was committed by Jacob. This is a deep wound. This is causing deep pain. His initial pain was to cry. I mean, in such a way, it says he wept bitterly. You, you can say, everybody just say pain. That, that's what you're seeing in this story. And so Esau, number three, experienced such pain that he vowed to kill his brother Jacob. Look what it says in verse 41. So Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. And I want you to notice something very important here that I think we can relate to, even though this is an extreme example. Esau's anger was attached to his pain. You got to lock that one in. Esau's anger was attached to his pain. Jacob stole two of the most valuable things that his brother had and his anger that we see here. 
that causes him to say this. I'm not validating murder. I'm not saying that it was right that he thought this. I'm not saying. But Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount that if you're angry at your brother, it's like murder. Why? Because it starts here. But what if some of our anger starts because of the pain and it's not just born in us with no causation, but it actually comes from somewhere and we could be contributing to the pain in someone's life that brings about the anger that wants vindication. Now, this is a very important piece for us to understand. So when anger happens in our home, we need to pause and ask why. When we see anger, sort of like the thermometer, When that temperature goes high in our homes or in our own hearts, we need to ask the question, why? We see it around us. Did we cause anything? Are we a part of this? Ask the question, why? God calls us to be bringers of healing, and maybe a wound has occurred when we see the manifestation of anger, and we could be healing hands, the healing hands of Jesus. Well, the fourth thing is this. Jacob, because he knew what his brother was going to do, he ran from the revenge of his brother. That's in Genesis 27, 42. Jacob's mom hears that Esau is going to kill Jacob, so she says, why don't you go to my brother's house? His name is Laban. And she literally says, you only have to go there for a few days. Well, a few days turns into 20 years. She's thinking this is going to blow over. Guys, when someone vows to kill another person, it doesn't just blow over, okay? (laughs) I don't know what Rebecca was thinking, but clearly she, she wasn't. The the principle I want to share with you in this is this. We may run from our problem, but if we caused it, at at some point we're going to have to face it. We're going to have to address it. I think a lot of people spend their life running away from the problems that they've caused, and then they build a wall around their heart justifying why it happened. Counselors' offices are full. My office is full. It's full not because we're so amazing, although you guys are, But because we have problems that are so packed into the dirt of our life that we don't deal with them until we absolutely have to. And by have to, I mean there's such conflict in a relationship that this is not going to go any further until we discover what's in the dirt of our soul. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. And it's better that we get a handle on those things before it all comes to light because it does. If we run from our problems and we're the ones that cause the pain in some relationship, then we will have to address it at some point. But the redemptive part of this story is is my second point, and that is this. Jacob made amends for the pain that he caused. Now, we know from the story he's been gone 20 years, and 20 years is a very long time. It's, It's long enough to sweep everything under the rug and not even remember that it's there. But God has a future purpose for Jacob, and he's not going to let him walk in the manifestation of that purpose until reconciliation comes. That means that reconciliation matters more to God than maybe we often consider. So here's what happens. The first thing is the Lord called Jacob to go back to his father's house. Genesis 31 and 3, the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and look at this, and I will be with you. Jacob has unresolved conflict with his brother, and he doesn't know what Esau is going to do when he comes home. So the Lord says to him, I'll be with you. Now, this would have been a difficult word for him to hear. Go back to the place where you know the last time you interacted with your brother, he wanted to kill you. Now, I can imagine getting that word thinking, is there another plan and another way? Now, Jonah comes to mind right now for me. 
is there another place that I can go and have a nice vacation? I don't want to go back to the place where the guy wants to get. Surely, Lord, you don't want me to go back to the place where someone wants to take my life. Surely, Lord, you want my life to go on so that I can bring glory to you. No muss, no fuss, no problems, no issues. He's the one with an anger problem, Lord. Am I preaching to someone today? The Lord said, go back. I want you to go back. See, sometimes we're not going to go forward, friends, until we go back. But the Lord promises, I'm going to be with you. And I think as we consider any unresolved conflict or pain that we've caused in our life, and we don't know how people are going to react to that, if we move towards healing and reconciliation, not in every situation, but as the Lord speaks to our heart about moving forward and healing, there are times where the Lord wants us to know, I will be with you. If you do this, this is a priority of mine. The Lord would say, if you do this, I want reconciliation. And when you have it, I can use you in greater ways. This might be a hindrance in your life. But if you move towards that relationship, whether it becomes everything that you want it to be or not, but if you move towards repentance, if you move towards undoing the pain that you've caused, the Lord says, I'll be with you. And you know what? I have actually found that in my life at times. When I humble myself and I'm willing to offer my repentance, when I'm willing to say I'm wrong and I'm sorry for the pain that I've caused you, and I go to that place, I have found that God is with me. I have found that it's a value of God's, a priority of his heart, that when I do that, friends, relationships are complex. I'm not saying other people don't play a part. But if we're always talking about what they did and not what we have done to contribute to this tension in relationship, I am telling you we're not seeing the full picture. There's no way. And I would also say that the robust healing that God wants to bring about isn't possible unless we put ourselves into the midst of the situation. We just have to do that. So Jacob gathers his family and all of his belongings, and he heads home, knowing that he's going to face his brother. And here's the second thing that happens. Jacob wrestled with God, and he received his blessing. In Genesis 32, Jacob gets most of the way home, and he stops there, and he sets up camp. And he sends messengers to Esau. And he says, tell Esau that his brother Jacob is coming. So that's what they do. They come back with a message for Jacob. And you want to know what the message is? Esau is on his way to meet you with 400 men. Now, if you want a bad omen, there's one right there. I don't even believe in omens, but 400 men are coming to kill you. That's what's going on. This is called war, ladies and gentlemen. They are coming to kill you. They're not coming to greet you. This is not some kind of kingly procession. They're not happy about you being on your way. They're just going to meet you before you ever get to where they are, and they're going to take you out. And Jacob knows what's coming, so he's scared. And the first thing he does, which we should always do, is he starts to pray. Amen. We got to pray just to make it today. MC Hammer was right. You were born in my era, you, you know. So he starts to pray, and he arranges his camp in a caravan with the gifts at the front. So I'm going to put all this stuff. He's got like 200 goats and all kinds of animals, and he arranges this caravan, and he starts to send out these gifts towards his brother. And it says that then Jacob is alone. And this is where he has an encounter with who we know later to be the Lord. It says this in Genesis 32 and verse 24. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against them, he touched the socket of his thigh. Now, for some of you Pentecostals, when you ask the Lord to touch you, be careful what you're asking for. Just a thought. 
So the socket of his thigh was dislocated from the touch of the Lord. There it is. Then he said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said back, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men, and you have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named that place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh and the sinew of the hip. I'm not going to answer every question you have about this story. I just simply can't. But here's what we know. Jacob wrestles with a man. It turns out to be the Lord. But here's what I would tell you is that Jacob has been wrestling with the Lord his entire life. Jacob has not walked as the man that God called him to be. There was a prophecy over his life that the older shall serve the younger. There was a prophecy that Jacob would carry forth the blessing of the Lord. He has not walked in his destiny. He has been an other type of man, and here's what goes on. He wrestles with the Lord, and this is a manifestation of what has been going on. And the Lord touched his hip. It was dislocated. And the principle is that sometimes for God to bless us, he does have to break us. When there are things that are happening underneath the surface, the Lord will break us. And I don't know what that looks like. I'm not insinuating that God's going to touch your hip today. But if I see a bunch of you limping, we know what it means. <laughs> We're going to have a hip touching service. Just <laughs> Can we edit that entire section? Amen. I don't even agree with it. Jacob wrestles with the Lord for a blessing. When we think of blessing, a lot of American minds, not necessarily you, but a lot of American minds think about stuff, material possessions, money. Jacob was not asking for more gold and silver. We already read he has all this stuff. He came out with all of this stuff. He's got everything that he possibly needs, so much so that he arranges a caravan to send it all to his brother. What's it worth if his life is going to be taken? He's not asking the Lord for more stuff. God, would you give me some more silver and gold just so I have it before I die? That's a great idea. He's not, he's not asking for that. So what blessing is he actually asking for? And I, I think he's asking for a favorable outcome tomorrow when he's going to meet his brother. I think he's asking for the blessing of protection. I, I think he might even mean survival. Would you be with me? Would you be with me? You said you would be with me. Will you be with me when I face my brother? Because my life might end, and I would much like, not like that to happen. Would you give me a favorable outcome? That's the blessing that I, I believe he's seeking. But what Jacob needs is a change of identity. Jacob needs to become a man that he wasn't 20 years ago. And so here's what the Lord says to him. Tell me your name. He makes him declare his name. He says, my name is Jacob. My name is cheater. My name is supplanter. My name is usurper. This is my name. He makes him declare his name. And in that culture, a name meant your nature, your character, and virtue. It wasn't just Ben. It's what I'm known for. It's what I sign on a piece of paper. It was the nature and the character of what you are. He says, declare it. 
And he says it out of his mouth. And then the Lord says back to him, you're no longer going to be known by this name. Your name will now be Israel. He changes his name. And when he changes his name, he's changing his identity. And isn't that what the Lord does in all of our lives? I want you to be like me. So he gives him the name Israel because he had striven with God and with man and he had prevailed. The name Israel also means to strive with God or God strives and it also means God heals. And isn't that what he needs? God heals. I want you to go and be a part of what I'm doing. And when you go back to the place where you did something I wouldn't do, I want you to undo it by being who now I'm making you to be. So God changes something in him and then sends him back so that he's not the same man even though he's in the same place. And I I love this story. It's so powerful. And so here's the third thing and final thing that happens. Jacob humbled himself before his brother and they were reconciled. I just want to read the whole passage to you. Genesis 33 and 1. Jacob lifted up his eyes. This is the next day. And he looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. And he put the maids and their children in front, and Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. But he himself passed on ahead of them and bowed down to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Then Esau ran to meet him. Look at this. And he embraced them and fell on his neck and kissed them, and they wept. He lifted his eyes, and he saw the women and the children. And Esau said, Who are these with you? So he said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maids came near with their children and they all bowed. Look at the story. The entire family bows down to Esau. He prepped them for this humble moment. They all bowed down to Esau. Afterward, Joseph came near with Rachel and they bowed down. And he said, what do you mean by all this company which I have met? And he said, to find favor in your sight, my Lord. But Esau said, I have plenty, my brother. Let Let what you have be your own. And Jacob said, no, please, if now I have found favor in your sight, take my present from my hand, for I see your face as one who sees the face of God. You have received me favorably. Please take my gift, which has been brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have plenty. Thus he urged them and he took it. So there's the whole caravan of gifts. The family's moving towards Esau. Jacob was last. It says he bows down seven times. And he doesn't just do a little like, He bows his face all the way down to the ground, the dust of the earth. You can imagine him coming up. He's got dust, the dust of the ground on his face, on his beard. Seven times he does this, and he's looking at his brother, and his brother sees the act of humility. He watches what happens. It's an amazing moment. And after he humbles himself like this, it says Esau runs at him. I can't imagine what Jacob is anticipating in his heart with this running at him. But he falls on his neck, he embraces him, and it says that they weep together. And friends, this is a powerful reconciliation that we can admit today only God could bring this about. It was an encounter with God that Jacob needed in order to prepare him to humble himself for this moment to happen. Jacob was not this man, and he has become someone entirely different. And that's the thing about you and I, is that we have to become something different than what we are in our natural state if we're going to see God do beautiful things. And it is possible, but it is not possible without humility. It's not. Humility is that key ingredient. The Bible says it more than once, that God gives his grace, his favor to the humble. 
God works on our behalf in miraculous, supernatural, profound ways when we're humble. That's the key. So what is our application today? How do we respond uh, to this message? I got two points. They're real simple. I just, I just want to share them with you briefly. The first is we need to face the pain that we have caused. I, I think everybody has an Esau in their life. That's my opinion. You don't have to agree with that. We can both still go to heaven. Amen. It's not salvational. But I think everybody has an Esau in their life. And at some point, we have to face the problem. We have to face the pain. We have to face the difficulty. And God wants us to do that, and he's with us in the midst of it. If we won't run from it, justify it, avoid it, build a wall around it, if God sees that we humble ourselves, the Lord will, his grace, his presence, his power will land on that heart, on that life. My question is this for you today. Have you caused pain in someone, and are you aware of it today? Have you caused pain in someone's life? Now, I don't want you to think about anybody else right now. Just follow my lead for the next five minutes. I don't want you to think about anybody else. Have you caused pain in someone else's life by what you've said, by what you've done, by what you haven't said? I'm not trying to fish with you today. I'm just asking you a question. And if immediately or initially you're not sure, I I would ask you and encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit, Ask the Holy Spirit. If you're not aware of it, ask the Holy Spirit. Is there something that you wish you could take back? Is there something that you wish didn't happen? There's probably pain on the other end of that. I, um, this last couple weeks, I actually prayed and I said, Lord, is there anybody that I've caused pain in unintentionally? Nobody that, I, I mean, there's nothing that I did that I'm aware of. Like, I'm not aware of any pain that I've caused purposely. But I asked him, is there is there a relationship in my past where I've caused something and it's somewhat unresolved? And so, uh, you know, the Lord said yes. Amen. <laughs> he just, you don't have to say amen to that, but <laughs> he has an answer. I wasn't aware, but when I, when I asked him, he gave me a short list. And here's what I did. I went through my phone, all my contacts, and then I went through my email. And when I went through my email, there were names that as I was sensitive to the Lord, I just asked him, would you show me names? And he started to show me some names. And as I considered that there could be pain that's been caused that I haven't had the opportunity to undo, my heart was softer, my heart was more sensitive, and, you know, these names came came to my mind. I, I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to do that. Maybe right away you might be thinking, Ben, I don't think there's anybody. But if you start going through your phone, if you start going through your emails, all of a sudden, just like what happened to me, it could happen, it could happen to you. So we need to face the pain that we've caused. Number two, we need to make amends for the pain that we have caused. I've said this to you before, but this matters so much to the Lord. Jesus even said it in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. He said, therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister, has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. Is this not the story of Jacob? God has a purpose for Jacob's life, but the first thing, 20 years after this wound has been caused, before he says, here's what I want you to do, step into your destiny, he says, go back. Reconciliation was more important to the Lord than just walking out his purpose in the here and now. 
So Jesus says the exact same thing. He says, first go and be reconciled to your brother and then come back and present the offering. This is the worship that God wants. He doesn't just want our hands raised and our shouts and all glory and praise be to God. That's important. That's amazing. We need to do all of that. But if we do it despite some of these things in our past and we're not willing to address them or make amends for them, the Lord says to us, I want you to go back and make amends for those things. And maybe, just maybe, as we move toward healing, the Lord will undo that pain and cycles get broken in the name of Jesus. Our children need that. Our family needs that. Our church needs that. So if there's anyone that comes to your mind, I want to encourage you to seek the Lord about what to do. And here's what I'm not telling you today. You could say, Pastor Ben, your 45-minute sermon does not solve all these problems. I I know that. (laughs) We're in like week seven of a whole series. I could keep going the whole rest of the year. We have other things we're going to focus on. But I, I know that I can't solve all of the issues. So here's what I wanted to tell you. If you're going to take what I'm saying today seriously, if you need to take it seriously, which I believe we all do, when I had my short little list of names, here's what I would tell you. Every name has complexity to it. Every single one of those names, there's complexity to it. But here's what I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying to me. I don't care about their side. I believe that sometimes we stop reconciliation because we keep throwing the complexity into it Because we can't solve their side. And I want to tell you something. As far as I can tell, on one hand, we cannot bring about repentance in another person. We cannot bring about them forgiving us. That's true. But on another side, I don't think God is that concerned with us trying to make that part happen. The Lord says, be at peace with all people as much as it depends on you. And so when I had this list, I could name things. Well, they said, and they did, and I was, and this was a different season, and blah, blah, blah. I could say all that stuff, but the Lord wasn't concerned about that. So here's what I did. I just prayed, Lord, what would you have me do? I just prayed through every single name. What would you have me do? Should I contact them? Should I get together with them? Should I just pray for them? And the answer was all three. One person, it was just pray. I just want you to pray, and I want you to repent right here and right now. I can't, there's a relationship I can't address. I believe the Lord did not lead me to do that. You might have those relationships. I'm not trying to stir you where you can't make something happen or you can't even connect with them. But if the sting is still there, God wants to heal it. And he moves through our repentance. It's so powerful. He moves through our humility. He does that work in us, even if we can't make something happen. And I'll tell you, I have sought reconciliation with people and I can't bring about this thing that only God can do. I've seen it where that tension still exists, but the smile of God rests on those who are willing to go to that place. Even if it doesn't all work out, and I don't have a testimony for you next week, and we don't have a microphone up here with everybody saying, Pastor Ben, I did what you said, and here's what God did. We might have the opposite of that. We might have hit a bee's nest. But I'll tell you what, in heaven you didn't hit a bee's nest. What will, what will happen is the Lord will smile on you because of your humility He will smile on that. Say, that's what I'm talking about. That's where Jacob moves to Israel. That's where we step out of what we were and who we were, and we step into who God wants us to be. And we follow our pattern, who is always Jesus. It's amazing. Now, I don't know if you came this morning thinking, Pastor Ben, that's what I want for my life, but here you are, and here I am, so let's go ahead and get the job done. 
Would you stand as I close? Now, I'm asking you to do this with me. Every man, woman, and child, I want to close this way. Would you, would you put your hands out before the Lord? Just because this isn't my message or I'm not asking you just to respond to what I've said. Let's just all respond to the Lord today. And, and in the context of reconciliation and maybe us having caused some pain, knowing that we want to break the cycles, if, if they exist, if there's a cycle there that's continuing to grow and move into the future, we want that to break. We want the power of that to break, and it can because we take a step. So here's the step that we're going to take together. I want you and I to ask the Holy Spirit to show us if there is anybody or anything that he would call us to make that right. Let's do that together. I'll pray for you, but let's do that together. Would, would you join me right now? Let's go ahead and do that. Jandy, if you would play while we do, just a, let's take a moment. Holy Spirit, we invite you into our heart, into this moment. We, we invite you to evaluate. Uh, with sincerity, we ask you to show us if there's anybody or anything that is in our past where we've caused pain and that it's still unresolved. We're not digging up old things that have been settled. We're just asking for things that are unsettled, unresolved, and if there's even a potential of that. And you, you want to encourage us to participate with you in bringing about healing. I pray that over us today. I, I ask, Lord, that you administer to our minds and our hearts and give us courage, whatever that might mean, to, to address it in the way that you prescribe. We're not going to run out there and just call and text. It's, it's not just about making it happen quickly, but it's about responding to you. You told Jacob what to do. You can tell us what to do. So we ask you to minister that to us today. And I, as we are praying, I want to ask if there is anybody here today and you just know right now that there's pain that you've caused and you can make it right or you can at least move towards healing. God is the one that brings about reconciliation. But if there is something, I want you to acknowledge it today by raising your hand that you know right now there is something that you might have to do. Just acknowledge it. Just put your hand up if that's you. I don't want you to say yes if it's not. I just want you to say yes if it is. You know there's something you need to do. So let's ask the Lord for grace and wisdom right now, what we're called to do. Lord, I thank you for every hand that's raised. I pray for your wisdom in our mind and heart to be in sync with you. And we wouldn't just address it, but we would address it in the way that you call us to. We want to be sensitive to your path of healing. Even as you're 
putting it in our hearts to respond today. So we ask you, Father, touch our hearts. Bring healing. I pray healing over this, over this moment. I pray healing over our church. I pray healing in our hearts, God. I pray for humility. We thank you for what you're doing today. We ask you to, to move powerfully in Jesus' name. As we close, I just want to say this to you. Hurt people always hurt people until the cycle of pain is broken. And let me remind you of something that you know. An offended person is a weapon in the hands of the enemy, but a forgiving person is a tool in the hands of the Lord. Let's be people who bring healing to the world around us, especially in our families first, especially in our close relationships first. Father, we ask that you would release healing in us in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.